we all have a responsibility to look out for and take under the wing the people who need us the most in our society right and whoever that might be within your community we have a responsibility those of us who are not looking or fighting for survival on a daily basis to use that in the best way that we can to support other people stick your neck out the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Last podcast of the year. Hope you, dear listeners, had a wonderful Christmas. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and since we all hopefully are in celebrating mode, I must say that my guest today is a giraffe hero, uplifting refugee voices and celebrating human differences. Yas O'Hara, co-founder of the Worldwide Tribe. Founded in 2015, the Worldwide Tribe has grown into an organization and online community which raises awareness about the refugee crisis, whilst also supporting those caught up in it in a sustainable way. Welcome, Yas, to our podcast. Thank you so much. Yas also has a podcast, Stories from the Refugee Crisis. Yas, you know, I was listening to your podcast, and I have to say, I kept listening to every single one of them, because... I think the stories you are telling are pretty similar to the ones I've heard working at the media school in Hamburg in a digital media program we had for refugees. It was a kind of a scholarship. But the stories of these people were as inspiring, as hard and full of willpower as the ones you tell. So the Worldwide Tribe began its journey with a Facebook post that turned into something great. Do you mind to tell us a bit about it? Yes. So it's an interesting story, actually, how it all happened and how the Worldwide Tribe began. And it starts with my little brother. So he is my inspiration for how everything changed for me and how my life very much took a different turn and led to that Facebook post that you just mentioned, that notorious Facebook post that was also a life-changing moment. But basically, my little brother Mez is my trigger, my catalyst. He is a refugee from Eritrea, from East Africa, and he fled compulsory military service when he was 13 and joined my family after a crazy journey across land and sea, across the Sahara Desert, across the Mediterranean, walking across the Europe and living in the Calais jungle. Um, but yes, he joined my family a year later in 2015. And he was the reason that I first went to the Calais jungle and wrote a Facebook post about that experience. So at that time, there were not many NGOs, if any at all, actually working on the ground, no volunteers that I met that time. And there was not much in the media that really represented the people that lived in the camp. Um, so that was my reason for wanting to share some of the stories of the people that I'd met there. And that was the trigger of the Worldwide Tribe, I guess, because that post then was shared thousands and thousands of times, seen by hundreds of thousands of people. And people wanted to get involved. They wanted to do something. They wanted to help. They really wanted to support the people that lived in the Calais jungle. And they needed a reason or a way of doing so or a, a how basically because I think that you know lots of people want to do something but they don't always know what it is that they can do or how they can do something and so that was the beginning of the worldwide tribe that's how it all started for me and do you remember what you wrote exactly that one post was shared tens of thousands of times reaching millions of people what I wrote in that post I think the reason why it went so 
viral was because I didn't know what I was talking about, really. I didn't know anything about the refugee crisis. I didn't know, uh, I didn't have experience in the humanitarian sector. I worked in the fashion industry at the time, and I did work for um, an underwear brand that produced organic, fair trade cotton underwear in India. I had worked in India for years uh, with farming communities there, but I didn't know anything about migration on this scale and I had never been to a refugee camp before so I think what was relatable in that post was the fact that I was coming at it person from London who had no idea what was happening on our doorstep and that I think was a real hook for people because maybe they saw themselves in my perspective of the camp. Also I shared stories of some of the individuals that I'd met there and um, what they told me and the reasons why they had left their countries, some of the journeys that they'd made, and why they wanted to come to the UK. And these are questions that I had before going to the camp that I felt like the media at the time wasn't really answering. So hopefully uh, that very long post gave some information that was new to a lot of people at the time. To our listeners, I think they might need some background about the place we are talking about. The Calais jungle, known officially as Camp de la Land, was a refugee and migrant encampment in the vicinity of Calais, France. It existed from January 2015 to October 2016. There had been other camps known as jungles in previous years, but this particular shanty town drew global media attention during the peak of the European migrant crisis in 2015, when its population grew rapidly. Migrants stayed in the camp while they attempted to enter the United Kingdom or while they awaited their French asylum claims to be processed. The media reports about the place were at the time you went there just kind of scary. What did you go to Calais in first place? I mean, why just O'Hara set out to find the stories, not headlines, in Calais' refugee camp? Good question. So first off, I lived in London, which is not very far from the Calais jungle. You can get there in a couple of hours, you know, and my family lived in Kent, which is right on the south coast of the UK, where lots of refugees were arriving from Calais, crossing that little bit of water. For those who have the right passport, it's very easy to cross. You can get on a ferry, you can get on a train, um, in the comfort of your car, you know, you can easily crossed that body of water. But for many refugees, they were, were arriving illegally in the back of lorries, hiding under the train, hiding on the ferry, very dangerously. And most recently, we've seen even more boats trying to cross this body of water. But anyway, I felt geographically close to the issue. It wasn't hard for me to get there, but also emotionally close to the issue because My mum and dad basically had four children already. They had two girls and two boys biologically. And my youngest brother at the time, he was, he'd just turned 18 and he was looking to move out. And my mum and dad were, I think, very fearful of having an empty house and having spare rooms and no kids at home. So that had led them to look into adoption and fostering and what their options were. And as they were going through that process, they learned about how many unaccompanied refugee children were arriving to Kent and needing families. So it looked very likely that my new brother or sister would be coming via this camp in Calais, known as the jungle, as you just so perfectly explained. And I wanted to find out more. I wanted to find out where he might be coming from. I presumed it would be a boy because... Well, the majority of the population of the camp was male. 
So it was that reason, that personal reason that I wanted to go to Calais. Um, and it was during the same time as my mum and dad were going through this process. So I actually went to Calais just before my brother Mez, who I mentioned before, joined my family. And when he did join the family, we were already kind of caught up in the refugee crisis. I'd already started the Worldwide Tribe. We were already collecting donations for refugees. And he must have thought, what is going on here? Like, why are all these tents and sleeping bags piled high all over this house and all over the driveway? But yes, so that was my personal reason, I guess. And the as I mentioned before, the catalyst for me going. And that's a really powerful reason, I think. So after this trip to France, you started the Worldwide Tribe. What exactly are you doing? How are the Worldwide Tribe and Jazz Ohara sticking their necks out? Getting the things that people needed to the people who needed it most in the camp. You know, it was about tents, sleeping bags, distribution of warm clothing, food, socks, you know, the basic needs, shelter. And we collected in the UK and then we distributed in France, predominantly in Calais. But what I soon realized is that however many tents and sleeping bags we give out in Calais, the problem wasn't going away. More people were coming. The camp shouldn't be there in the first place, right? Yeah, we can make the conditions in the camp as livable as possible, but it shouldn't exist. There's a shift that needs to happen politically, and it's actually much more on a kind of legal level that things need to change, you know? And I believe that where change comes is in a shift in perception and mindsets. And we really looked to tackle that at a grassroots level so that it would filter up and hopefully change policy. That's the aim. So the Worldwide Tribe focuses on storytelling. And very quickly in that time in Calais, I recognized that that was also where my skills lay that, yeah, I could be on the ground putting up tents and sleeping bags. I'm not the best at putting up tents, that is for sure. But also, I was writing every day on social media, I was sharing stories of the people that I was meeting and the friends that I was making and what was going on there. And the community of the Worldwide Tribe continued to grow. And we started to make films and we started to collaborate with the people in the camp to tell their own stories. We handed out cameras, disposable cameras to people so that they could document their own life there. And that, to me, felt the most important thing, because through these stories, that's how people could learn in the UK what was actually happening. We could raise awareness. And I believe that is how change happens. Okay, and uh, we should all play social media in all of this? Social media was the tool that we used, you know, it was a platform, a way of sharing these stories and getting them out to people. And that's what's the beauty of the time that we live in right now is that we do have the ability to get our voices heard through social media, that anybody can share their story and have it listened to and you never know how many people are going to see it and read it and hear it. So social media was a tool that was very effective for us that, you know, if we needed something, we could put out an ask and it could be shared and with someone who knew someone who knew someone who could give us what we needed. So that for me was how we saw social media that yes, of course, it can be used for procrastination, it can be used as a tool for like, you know, distraction, but it can also be used as a tool to create real impact. Let us talk a bit about what people who make media and politics often call the quotation marks refugee problems nowadays. You produce content to bring a human perspective to the biggest humanitarian crisis of our time, the refugee crisis. 
How do you use activism to amplify the voices of refugees and their standing in our society? I guess the way that we do that is to humanize, to not use statistics and to bring things down to a level on a, on a human basis so that you can look in someone's eyes and you can recognize that's a human just like me. And that means that anybody who's a human being on this world can relate and can feel something. You know, you don't need to have a background in politics or in the NGO sector or whatever. You can just feel, okay, these are people that need us right now and I want to do something to help them. Okay. And how do you help these people exactly? Lots of different ways. So as I mentioned, we run projects like our citizen journalism project where we provide refugees or people living in camps, displaced people with ways to document their own story, whether that's a disposable camera or a platform to share what's going on for them. We yeah use the podcast films, uh, talks in schools and universities, ways to kind of get these messages out to as many people as possible, especially students um, and young kids. I went to a primary school just last week which was really really lovely because you really notice that kids at that age are without many of the kind of stereotypes and stigmas that we actually almost you know without realizing develop as we grow older. Britain's response to the largest refugee crisis in Europe has been criticized as insubstantial in comparison with others in the region and within the EU. How are the public narrative and attitudes toward the refugees in Great Britain nowadays? Attitudes have changed over the years since I've been doing this work, but still we have a conservative government that is pretty anti-immigration and their viewpoints and their hostile environment policies towards refugees and are pretty horrible, to be honest. Pretty shocking. Exactly. I mean... I had the feeling that so far the narrative being formed is hostile towards refugees and asylum seekers. And uh, this narrative actually neglects the circumstances under which some of the refugees and asylum seekers live. Yeah, the UK could be doing a whole lot more to support refugees and asylum seekers. And instead, they have a real attitude of kind of pushing people away and passing the responsibility to France to the first safe country that people arrive to in Europe, whether that be Italy or Greece, who, you know, have a huge burden on them with people arriving to their shores. And the UK absolutely is not taking its fair share or doing what it should be to support refugees. Just could you give us your impression on the challenge and potential of finding a consensus and mutual understanding? They should meet. They should meet. People in government should meet refugees. They should actually connect with them. They should actually talk face to face. They should fucking go to Calais. Do you know what I mean? Like that would be a start. Go to Calais, go to a refugee camp and experience it for yourself and then tell me that you still stand by these policies. <laughs> Sorry to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Now back to your organization. I really need to ask you this. The word tribe has a certain connotation with roots in 19th century social theories. It carries the prejudice of colonial history that other people are lesser, primitive, illogical. Why, if you are supporting telling the story of mostly of refugees, people from Africa coming to Europe, giving them a voice, why you still choose this word? Interesting question. And for me, a tribe, the, the worldwide tribe... The name means that we 
as everybody who lives on this world is one community and that is the mission and the message behind what we do so for me that's what it represents is that we need to come together as a community regardless of borders religions nationalities genders things that divide us and unite and that is represented in the name okay now I ask the question because I think for the people who know the connotation of these words, like I am, it might cause a misunderstanding from what you are doing. I mean, for me it was like, um, and I'm going to use the German word, a stolperstein, like like a stumbling stone kind of, the first time I heard the name. Okay, um, that's really interesting. Yeah. You're the first person who's actually said that to me. And I recognize, okay, okay. I, re I, I recognize what you're saying, absolutely, and I understand. But I think, I hope that the fact that it's a worldwide tribe is the, is, uh, surpasses that. But, you know, if it's a, a term in itself um, that you have an issue with, then I'd love to talk to you about that further because, you know, the, there's no no sense in offending anybody with a name when it is not in, intended to do that. But I would say that the point is for us to actually come together and unite. And so, yeah, if the, if, if the name is not doing that and not serving that purpose, then, yeah, let's have that conversation. Let's definitely dig deeper. Like, is it a name that offends you, would you say? No, 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 no. I wasn't really offended by the name. I just, just called my attention because the word tribe was indeed used for the colonialists to describe the minorities, the people they used to marginalize, native US Americans and some Africans too. So, I mean, it's not like offensive the way you think. I haven't taken it personal. If you reflect or at least start thinking about this, that's enough for me, you know? Yeah, and you know, it's, you raise an important point, absolutely, and I recognise that with the word tribe. But I think that, as I say, the fact that you know it, we represent a global community, and we you really see that on our social media that you know there's people from all over within that community supporting the migration of people from all over to all over. That to me is representative of this global community and tribe to me means community and I, I understand the connotations of course but yeah I want to kind of rewrite that and look at us as a group of human beings basically. And that's exactly what we are. You know Jazz I very much like the pictures you publish crossing out those descriptions that became stereotypes towards almost all black people in Europe to make a point. Like, I hope our listeners just get the point I want to say. So otherwise, you can just go to the website of Jazz and, and have a look at what I'm, what I'm saying. You say, for example, stories about refugees and you cross out about refugees and you said stories about people. Or um, you put in a picture fled from Eritrea and you cross out Eritrea and actually fled from Eritrea. You cross out the, the whole thing. And then you put this guy loves Tupac, hates olives. I mean, you are pointing it out just to see them as individual human beings, not, you know, not, not following these stereotypes. And I think it's, it's awesome. Speaking about political correctness and sensitivity towards the marginalized, what is, according to you, the difference between refugee and migrant? And what does it take to overcome these terms that often become attributions? 
Well, a migrant is someone who chooses to leave their country and travel to another country, right? But a refugee is someone who is forced to because they are fleeing persecution, whether it's political or there's war in their country. So they have a reason to find safety in another country. And yeah, I like that you mentioned that campaign because you are talking about my little brother, Mez, who's my Eritrean brother. Yeah, he loves olives and, oh no, hates olives, loves Tupac. (laughs) And he was my favourite episode in our (laughs) podcast that we recorded together because he shares his story in a way that's much better than when I try and describe his crazy journey on here. I won't do it justice. So yeah, our episode together, he tells, you know, the incredible journey that he took. Um, And he's someone that I work with very closely, actually, um, when it comes to messaging and how we get across that idea of what we're trying to evoke, that emotion that we're trying to evoke in people. So tomorrow, we're actually releasing our alternative Christmas story, which is a short film. It's a couple of minutes long and it's called Mother. And it's about Mez and my other brother, Bijo, who is a Sudanese refugee. He came as an unaccompanied minor um, from Sudan when he was 14. He's 15 um, now. And they tell their stories of crossing the channel. Um, But then you also see them at home with my mum and dad. And the idea is to recognise how we all have a part to play in welcoming refugees. We all have a responsibility to look out for and take under the wing the people who need us the most in our society, right? And whoever that might be within your community, we have a responsibility, those of us who are not looking or fighting for survival on a daily basis to use that in the best way that we can to support other people and so that's what our film is about and it comes out tomorrow but yes he is someone Mez especially who works very closely with me when it comes to giving talks and things do we do lots of talks together and putting together films and messaging around what it is that we want to get across with the worldwide tribe the Worldwide Tribe is kind of a family project. Your two brothers are working with you and your mom is also have been working with refugees. Why did you make a whole family project of it? Not on purpose. I mean, my mom, I would say, doesn't do any work as such with the Worldwide Tribe. But she has four sons who are refugees now. So Mez and Bijo, who I just mentioned from Eritrea and Sudan, and then I have two other brothers from Afghanistan and and Libya. So I guess that is work in itself, but that brings her a lot of pleasure as well, just being a mum, really. Um, So it's, it's not intentional, but it is definitely something that feeds into every element of my life. Like I live, breathe and yeah, sleep, thinking about how we can change some of those narratives and be more welcoming and more open and accepting to immigration in this country and at all levels, but especially to asylum seekers who are asking for protection and safety. Actually, this statement from you leads me to my next question. Your project is trying to give people all around the world a voice, using the social media in a positive way to do so. After realizing yourself that people making media only transmitted one very negative perspective, I'm pretty sure you are familiar with the term white savior. For our listeners who might haven't heard this particular expression, white savior refers to Western people going into fix kind of the problems of struggling nations or people of color without understanding their history, needs 
or the region's current state of affairs. So just how do you protect yourself from falling into the position of a white savior? Look, I think it comes down to intention, right? And your reason why. And like, I feel very clearly why this is important to me, why I want to devote my life to this. And my intention is based very much within my family as you as we've talked about my my foster brothers and you know if if people do want to use that term or see it in that respect then that's okay with me because for me i know that this is something that i want to devote my my everything to that working to support refugees and asylum seekers is my life's mission and if you want to call me a white savior for that that's okay with me yes you said before that your brothers means a lot to you that they are really important and inspiration in your work can you tell a bit more about them yeah so mez is the oldest one and um, i talk about him a lot because he's very keen to share his story i think that one of the things that was difficult for him when he made it to the uk was that he came from a country that nobody knew about that nobody knew what was going on there, that one day, you know, he went to school to our local comprehensive school and it was the same day uh, that he saw in the news that a whole boat full of Eritreans had, had died in the Mediterranean and everybody in his class was just going on as normal. No one knew anything about it. And for Mez, that was really challenging that when people asked him where he was from and he said Eritrea, he was just met with kind of blank faces. So he's very keen to talk about his experience, to share what's going on in his country, to raise awareness about the issues that young boys like him face, because there's many, many Eritrean boys in Europe, mainland Europe, but also in, in the UK. There's a high rate of suicide amongst teenage Eritrean boys um, who are arriving to the UK as asylum seekers. So he feels very passionately about these issues and wants to get his, his voice out there. So I will continue to do everything I can to make that happen and work with him to amplify his story and his voice. Um, and we very much do do that together. So Mez, he's very outgoing and he's very easy to talk to and he's not got a kind of shy bone in his body whereas my second brother Arash from Afghanistan he's much more quiet and shy and less wanting to kind of share his story and that's beautiful too you know he's also all of them have experienced a lot of trauma a lot of pain and they all deal with that in their own way and that's totally fair enough and all we can do is provide the space for them to do so and to do that So then you have Arash, he's very sweet, very gentle, very calm. And then Bijo, who is a bit of a party animal, he's also very sociable. He has lots of friends. He's out a lot with his friends. He's struggled this year with the lockdown, not being able to do that so much. And then my youngest brother, Ziad, he is incredible at football. He's a very talented football player. Uh, he's just had his 14th birthday, so he's still very young and he's very sweet and cheeky. And yeah, they're all amazing, heroic, in my opinion. They very much feed into my everyday. They are ultimately my, my inspirations in this work. That's beautiful. On another note, mostly the same, but going to a different angle. 
Britain leaving the EU has uh, many aspects and one of them is the withdrawal from the Dublin Agreement under which member states with first contact were responsible for refugees. While the transition phase slowly ends, many refugees and asylum seekers continue to cross the English Channel between France and Britain in dangers. What do you expect is going to happen next? How do you think one can take action? I mean, there's levels to that, right? Like, I think you need to look within to see what it is that you can do and what you have to offer, whether you have time, whether you have money, whether you have resources and skills. You know, maybe it's signing a petition. Maybe it's sharing a post on Facebook. Maybe it's starting a conversation with your friends. Maybe that's your action. That's something that all of us can do every day, you know, but maybe it's more than that. Maybe you want to get more physically involved and volunteer with groups and advocate and be part of groups that work within advocacy like Safe Passage who are fighting for the rights of especially unaccompanied minors um, to be able to find safe and legal routes to cross the channel. So yeah, I think that that's a question that is, you know, unique to each individual and you have to kind of ask yourself what it is that you have to offer and what it is that you have to give um, and apply that to what it is that you believe in. In your homepage you have written those of us crazy enough to think we can change the world are the ones that do. Do you have the feeling you are changing the world somehow? Look if I change one person's perspective then that's enough for me. Totally agree. What are the main pursuits at the Worldwide Tribe at the moment? The main pursuits are the podcast. So the Worldwide Tribe podcast, each episode shares the story of a heroic individual that I've met along the way. Mares being one of them who I've talked about today, but also many other people that I've met from various places and various situations all over the world. So the podcast season four is coming out in January. And uh, there's some really, really incredible stories coming um, in that season. I don't know if you heard about Banksy's rescue boat in the summer. There was a lot of stories about yes. his beautiful pink boat that rested a couple of amazing rescues. Uh, and a couple of his crew members are coming up soon on an episode of the Worldwide Tribe what? podcast about, yes, search and rescue in the Mediterranean. We have an episode coming up about a system in the Middle East um, called the Kafala system. I'm sure this is an issue that you've maybe touched on before, but essentially mm. modern day slavery across the Middle East um, where domestic workers yes, are definitely, yeah. Yeah, subject to a lot of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a system that lends itself to a lot of corruption. And I was in Beirut recently after the explosion and... We did some work on, you know, supporting the victims of the explosion by fundraising. And there's a couple of groups that I've worked with on the ground there for a long time. One called SB Overseas, and they support Syrian children in Beirut and actually across Lebanon. But they do incredible work with the most vulnerable in their communities who are even more vulnerable now as a result of the explosion and the economic crash in in Beirut. So there's an episode coming from Beirut. Um, yeah, there's a few. I won't give too much away, but there's a few exciting episodes coming that I <laughs> think are very important themes, but also very interesting and hopefully entertaining too. They are indeed, and I'm looking forward to listening more of them. Just on a larger scale through um, your work, you empower others. 
What drives you to do so? As I said to you, my reason why is that I, I really recognize the injustice of the situation right now for refugees, just like my little brothers, who through no choice of their own need to find safety, need to leave everything behind them and are not welcomed and are not accepted in the way that they should be here in Europe. And to me, you know, there's nothing more important to me than celebrating these differences, celebrating people who are making these journeys, welcoming them and recognizing them for heroes as they are. And that for me is what drives me until we recognize that globally and in our politics and we have a politics of empathy, then yeah, I've got a lot of work to do still. <laughs> yes, a lot. <laughs> so people are listening to the podcast and want to join this great work you are doing. What can they do? How can they join hands? Same as the answer before, you know, look within. What is it that you have to offer? Is it time? Is it money? Is it resources? Is it skills? Is it starting a conversation? Is it doing something for people within your community? You know, look within, have a think about what it is that you have to offer. But through the Worldwide Tribe, there's lots of ways to get involved. You can volunteer with our partners, Indigo Volunteers. They find people placements all over mainly Europe, but globally too. You can donate financially to projects that we run on the ground um, to support refugees. You can listen to the podcast and educate yourself about various stories and what's going on in the world around us. Uh, you can share a post. Yes, lots of different tiers as to what you can do, but they are all detailed. There's a page on the Worldwide Tribe website called Get Involved, Join the Tribe. And uh, yeah, they're detailed there. How, whatever it is that you've got to offer, we've got a way that you can use it in support of refugees. Thank you, Jazz, for being here with us. Thank you. Human rights activist Jazz O'Hara founded the Worldwide Tribe in a bid to highlight the humanity behind world issues and inspire positive social change. So let us embrace this idea of positive social change and hope for a cheerful 2021 overcoming COVID-19, join hands in every sense of the word and get rid of the distance, leave diversity and fight for it. And if you want to support the Worldwide Tribe, pay them a visit at theworldwidetribe.com and exactly as you have hopefully done with our podcast, subscribe Jazz's podcast too and take the journey across the world. My guest next week is Kantari alumni Kapila Rasnayaka. The founder of Voices of Humans in Sri Lanka believes we are all members of this planet and that's all there is to it. Voices of Humans is a platform that promotes a genderless society by protecting human rights. At the same time, it aims to create a world free from violence by engaging men and boys in partnership with women and girls. So yes, we start next year's Piscean talking about gender. I wish you all a happy new year and an even happier, better free of restrictions and COVID-2021. Let us welcome the new year together with hope. If you haven't subscribed this podcast, just go to Spotify, iTunes, our homepage and everywhere where you listen your podcast and click follow. So we'll be coming to you and you don't have to look more for us. Join also in our social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. But more important, join us again next week. Stick your neck out. 
the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.